Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. Today is October 9th, 2015. You are watching Tokyo on Fire. Today's episode, episode number 28, our burning issue is the cabinet reshuffle. The prime minister just announced yesterday the lineup of his new cabinet. It is really interesting who he chose, the number of people who stayed and those that came on, what positions they were given, and the rollout, the general rollout of what Abenomics now means. The security legislation has now been passed. We are moving into a new realm of Abenomics, and it's a really interesting time. You know, we always appreciate your viewing and telling your friends about Tokyo on Fire. You can participate in these discussions, as you know, by providing comments to us via email at comments at tokyoonfire.com or alternatively via Twitter at hashtag tokyoonfire. Probably the best way to interact with us is providing your comments directly into the dialog box on YouTube. Finally, our podcast is available on iTunes. Our numbers continue to grow, and we really appreciate your participation and telling your friends about this. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Chuchek. Michael is the author of the foremost blog in English on Japanese politics. It is called Shisaku. Welcome, Michael. It's great to be back. What a week. What happened over the last week is just really amazing. It's, uh, there's a lot of action. Last week, our burning issue was the new three arrows. And we, were, we didn't even talk about what came up during the middle of the week, which was suddenly an agreement on TPP. That's right. And in the meantime, there's been a cabinet reshuffle, which we were talking about just last week. And it happened. And there were a few surprises, to be honest. And we'll, let's, get, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Well, there are 19 cabinet seats that are available. He took about half of those and parceled those out to deserving members of the parliament. Well, deserving members of the parliament, many of whom have been waiting a long time, but a few of whom were really a surprise in that they hadn't been waiting a long time. What we saw was a redefinition of Abe's power and Abe's goals in the next, well, few months at least, until maybe the upper house election next year. It really becomes clear, doesn't it, as, as we, we go along to, to really recognize how powerful, how, how tight his inner group is. Him, Suga, a couple of the, the, the most important members of his cabinet, and how he wields this power and how he is able to quell um, this, this dissension within the ranks and to be able to speak you know, pretty much with one voice. Perhaps before we go into that, we have to have some kind of historical background. We clearly have to talk about the way things used to be. Sure. The ones that w what we know, or at least thought we knew, about how cabinets are arranged and how the relationship between the prime minister and the members of the various factions, the faction heads, and then the ministers that are chosen based on the faction balance. We thought we had it all down, at least I did, and I got it all wrong in terms of how Abe was going to proceed, and that's because I based it on the historical precedent. Right, so the, maybe let, let's talk about okay, that. Okay, the dynamics have clearly changed. The power has shifted really from individual members, individual um, personalities within the diet, in the upper house and in the lower house, and has gradually shifted more towards the LDP headquarters. And certainly to the prime minister himself, right. in a way that no one really has ever experienced before. Even under the great Koizumi, there was a great deal more balance. But here, the, the scale has just tipped so far in Abe's favor. Right. We're talking about a very, very different organization. Well, let, let's go back first. Okay. Now, historically, we had five to six major factions. Now, factions are not formal organizations, right? They're, they're, you, if you go to the LDP website, there's no mention of the factions mm -hmm. there. It's entirely an informal organization within the party, which has used to have a, several functions, but now it's reduced to just a few. The, the functions now are, to a certain extent, fundraising, though most of fundraising is now con controlled by the party central secretariat. Uh, for certain people, if there's an education process that happens, but mostly it's for, supposedly, cultivating people to become prime minister or to become a minister of a particular, uh, in a particular cabinet. Right. And normally you might think that it's, there's some sort of a, a policy bent or some sort of philosophical binding that brings these people together to, to join into a faction, but essentially it is just a, a personality cult. And that's not, that's not the way it used to be. They, there were real flavors in all the different uh, various 
factions. And that was because we had that wonderful system of multiple uh, representatives, right? right, multiple uh, candidates being elected from a single district. Now we have a single member district. Mm -hmm. And so, whereas you had several flavors of LDP in the candidates, you'll get only one person from the party to choose right. from. So the old policy, it sort of it was like a, it was like a, a, a policy kitchen mm -hmm. aspect to it. That's gone. Now it's you really are, you're right. It's a it's a personality cult kind right. of thing. But the personality cult has a function, which mm -hmm. is it's supposed to push the faction head toward eventually becoming a prime minister. Right. But. Right now, we've had the same prime minister for several years now, and that function, which used to kick out PMs one after another, it, that's clogged. Well, the, the, the factional system meant that there's a titular head, and since people are treating a political um, career as a career, it's, it's something that you do for the rest of your life, and then you pass it down to your son and your grandson. I mean, that, that seems to be a, a pattern, and we see that in the appointment of the, the new ministers. But these people live for a long time, the titular heads, I mean. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the, one of the um, things that was so distasteful for voters and for foreign observers is that you always see the same faces. They're just, it's just kind of musical chairs. And you're not seeing much of that now anymore. Uh, even people who have been elected you know, less than five times are now having um, uh, appointments as uh, ministerial positions. Okay, Mr. Abe is, is going into his fourth year as prime minister, and he's only had three cabinets. Mm -hmm. And that's actually pretty close to the historical average. Each cabinet usually only lasted about a year mm -hmm. because there was a need to cycle through all the possible eligible people who were in the party, who were in the diet, so that they could have a place inside the cabinet. People are due. And people are due. Uh, the, currently, there's a huge number of folks in the cabinet, I mean, in the, in the diet, who are due because we had that interregnum period of, right. of the DPJ being in power, which meant for three years there was no cycling going on because they weren't the, the party in power. So they're behind schedule in terms of that. But in going in the historical situation, that used to be that when a cabinet was picked, you or I could actually pretty much guess ahead of time who was going to be mm -hmm. picked for the next cabinet. Because we knew by, this, by virtue of the size of the faction, how many cabinet seats they'd be getting. Right. We would look then at the hierarchy within the faction, how many elections they that each member had, and how many times they'd been in the cabinet. And we'd be able to say, okay, this one's coming in, this one's coming in, right. and they'll have, and this faction will have five seats, this one will have four seats, this one, and we could, you could actually do a pretty good sketch ahead of time. Now, the factions have really diminished in terms of their power, and so there isn't a guaranteed correspondence between the size of the faction, uh, the number of elections of the people in it, and what happens when Mr. Abe picks a cabinet? Mm -hmm. And we saw that this week. Right. There was not a correlation necessarily, unless you will say that the biggest faction came away with the most seats, which it did. Right. In this case, the biggest faction is Mr. Abe's faction. It's the, called the Hosoda faction uh, because it is run by a man named Hosoda, a member of the Diet. But, who is not prime minister. Who has never been prime minister. Uh, but uh, Hosoda-san's faction is by far the largest. Right. It's, it's 95 members. And the next largest faction, the Nukaga faction, is only 53. Mm -hmm. And the, the following one is Foreign Minister Kishida's faction, which has 45. So there's a big drop. Right. And we saw this week that the Hosoda faction, the big faction, the prime minister's faction, got served. Mm -hmm. But the other factions got stiffed. And that's not what used to happen. Everybody within the party was treated with respect in the old days. Mm -hmm. There was a real sense that if your faction has this many members, it'll get a certain number. And, but it will, you, you can't be greedy. The Takeshita faction, for example, back in the day, was huge as compared to the other factions, but they were not greedy. Mm -hmm. they, would, they could go for strict numerical, but they didn't. They, mm -hmm. they limited themselves. That's not happening anymore. Well, it is a party and a, the party is made up of several factions. So they're all really brethren of, of some sort or another. Yeah, but you have to have some sense that being a member of the faction is going to lead to your being eventually elevated to the cabinet. Mm -hmm. And if 
the prime minister and his his friends and aides working together make sure that the other factions are actually suppressed that's going to breed resentment first with the faction head right. who says you're you're not listening to me uh, but also with the rank and file within those factions right well also there's there's a little bit of movement in between members of the diet who will go to different factions or independents who when it comes time for election they need the support they need the 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 money that is there for electioneering by joining a faction and they will go to those factions that will give them the best chance for enhancing their profile either um, for ministerial or vice ministerial position. That used to be the case, but really now it's 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 really more social networking. Mm -hmm. The money the monetary side really they have their each faction has its parties. Sure. And you pay big yen to get a ticket and to go in and that money all goes to the the members of the faction. Yes. Mm -hmm. But that's not the way, it's not the, the falderall that we used to know right. in terms of, of factional money control. Speaking of faction, there was a, the birth of a new faction just last week, wasn't there? Yeah, and it's not going too well for it Mr. Ishiba. It does not look like, but he got a ministerial position. Well, he had already had one, and it was given back to him. And it, it's one that has basically buried him as a, as yes. a uh, political force. When he was secretary general, we're, we're, we're going to inside baseball here. When he was Secretary General and Abe was Prime Minister, there was a great deal of tension and, a, and a also and a capacity in terms of Ishiba's controlling the party apparatus right. that there could be some kind of contention there. That when seemed he, to be where he was at kind of the pinnacle of his power, his pro, and, wasn't it? Yeah, and now because he's taken on this rural revitalization minister position, Abe has him close by. Right. It's the old saw about, you know, you want your friends close and your enemies even closer. He has him close by and he's in the cabinet and cabinet ministers can't really be in an antagonistic position mm -hmm. toward the cabinet. That's right. It's, it, it really is a consensus process. It's, it's something of a, and especially it's something of a, a handcuff, and especially in this administration, retribution will be had if you don't toe the line. Well, the, the, first of all, the cabinet will fall because all cabinet decisions have to be by unanimous vote. Mm -hmm. It's all consensus. That's what happened to the DPJ in terms of the Okinawa uh, switchover that Hatoyama made. When he switched over saying that, okay, the Henoko site is now the official site for which Futenma will be switched, when that happened, the Socialist Party, the, the, their representative within the cabinet said, I'm sorry, I can't support this. He had to, uh, Prime Minister Hatoyama had to fire her, replace her, and put in together a new cabinet because the cabinet had to make a decision. You cannot have an opposing member. So Mr. Ishiba is basically boxed in now, mm -hmm. but he's not the only one boxed in. No, there are a couple more that have very closely held views on a lot of different things, on women's issues, on on uh, economic revitalization, on the, the nuclear capacity of the country. And the nuclear one is the most interesting. Abe brought in who the person who's probably the number two critic. The number one is the son of former Prime Minister Koizumi, Koizumi Shinjiro. Right. Uh, he is clearly seen as the opposition voice within the party now mm -hmm. uh, to Abe as the complete dictator. And number two? And number two is now Minister Kono, who's now in head, head of the Public Safety right. Commission. Kono Taro. Kono Taro. Georgetown educated. Fourth generation. Fourth generation. He's a fourth generation Fourth generation, but, but also he's, he's a, a well-known figure internationally mm -hmm. uh, and, and well-known also for his vehement anti-nuclear stance. And Abe, very carefully, I think, brought him in and gave him a sure. position that he wants, which is not only public safety, but he's in charge of his most, his personal, his most uh, deeply held thoughts are about administrative reform. Right. He, he, they gave him that post, a, a, a double posting there, and said, look, you, I'll put you in, in charge of administrative reform. And now, you're right, it's handcuffs right. for him. We're going to talk about predictions and that sort of thing towards the end of our podcast, but I've got to say right now at this juncture that probably my favorite pick in this new administration is Konotaro. I, I like him a lot too, but I, by taking this position, he has put himself at odds with his own history. Mm -hmm. And in so, so much to the fact that he had a blog 
where he would express himself constantly and usually quite critically about the Abe administration's stance towards restarting nuclear reactors. That blog, as of I think yesterday, is gone. Okay. Well, he, he has, it's, it's not just scrubbed, it's gone. Well, listen, some people play politics cleverly and some people who, who you think know better don't. We were just talking about uh, Minister Ishiba and he seems to have not really played politics very well at all. He does maintain a, a ministerial portfolio, but boy, his, his star sure has fallen recently. Well, he had the, a, a, a Hobson's choice. He was either going to be given a really nasty post like environment minister, which it puts you in charge of the cleanup mm -hmm. at, at the Fukushima site, or take a position of his choice. Uh, I remember what, 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 what Abe was offering now. What he was offering him was defending the security legislation to right. be the special minister in charge of that. And Ishiba Shigeru being, having some foresight said, I don't want to touch that. Yes. And he didn't. Mm -hmm. And instead he took on this rural revitalization post. Uh, that, of course, has gotten him nowhere. Well, at the same time, I mean, he came up with this idea of let's, let's form a faction, a new faction. I, who despise factions, let's have a faction. Well, if you want to maintain power within, of some sort within uh, Mr. Abe's LDP, you probably need to have a formal organization. Mm -hmm. let's, let's face it, Mr. Abe was re-elected well, he wasn't re-elected. There was no election. Right. He he became he went into his second term, and he's in his second term now of president of the LDP. Right. Without a single challenger, his main potential com contender was Mr. Ishiba, and Mr. Ishiba wouldn't run against him. A lot of other members, like Foreign Minister Kishida, said no. Absolutely, thank you, you wouldn't have expected that. Yeah, no, and they did engineer a semi-real, semi-fake challenge by mm -hmm. Noda Seiko, right. uh, where she would would get to try to get together the 20 members of the diet necessary. To endorse her candidacy. To endorse her, endorse her candidacy, and then she could challenge Mr. Abe in the election. For some reason, she only arrived at 19, mm -hmm. which is a very suspicious number. It, it, it sounds like Let's get as many as to make it look as though we have something approaching a democratic process within the party. But, but shucks. But shucks. Right. It was so close. Right. Yeah, and, and, and we know that happens a lot in Japanese mm -hmm. society. There are these engineered elections right. with, with, with results already predetermined, but then you try to win some kind of dignity back for the person mm -hmm. who is appointed to run against the other person. That, that's what I think we had here. But... At the end of the day, there was no election. He is absolutely, Mr. Abe is absolutely in control. Okay, isn't this an interesting dynamic though that there has got to be lots of pent up energy and, and aspirations of these members of the diet who, who do feel that they are due their shot, but since the prime minister is so strong and since his administration is so cohesive, they just have to wait. Okay, they have, seven, they have 70 members of the diet who have what are considered the minimum standard of elections, which is five in the House of Representatives and two in, in the House of Councilors to get a ministerial post. Mm -hmm. So, and they only gave away, you know, nine, ten. ten yeah, ten seats. Right. So this, this is, there's a mismatch there. And, well, we, and, and, the, and of the ten, four of them went, all, all of the newcomers are from Mr. Abe's own faction. Mm -hmm. So it's some members that were brought in had previous ministerial stints, mostly very short time. But the brand new freshman, the freshman class, is all from the Hosoda faction, mm -hmm. the four members that are there. And wow, it's just a slap in the face of the other factions. Well, he does have other avenues. I mean, he could reshuffle his cabinet in the springtime or probably just before the summer elections? No, the summer elections, I think, were what we, we should talk first of all about what happened inside the uh, party itself. What party are you talking about? The LDP. What happened inside the party? Exactly. 
Nothing. Nothing. Okay. <laughs> the same. The same. I thought secre- you snookered me. I did not snooker you. Okay. You, you, you understood clearly what I was t- saying. He, the the party secretariat was changed in no way, mm-hmm. and that took a lot of observers by surprise because everyone was thinking that the head of the policy research council, Inada Tomomi, right, would be shifted into the cabinet in preparation to raise her profile because there's been all this talk about her being a possible successor to Abe, whereas other members of his inner circle have various demerits with them. Inada was seen as basically a clean slate. She's sharp, she's young, she's female. The same thing happened with uh, Mr. Abe when uh, Koizumi was prime minister. Yeah, and and people thought that that would happen, Mm -hmm. but it didn't happen. Instead, the secretariat was kept intact. Mr. Tanigaki is still Secretary General. We still have Nikai at the General Council. Everything was kept as it was. So there was no reward or, or punishment there. Right. Nothing happened there. So we, we had actually not so much a reshuffle as really just, okay, a few things are going to be slid in and out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's really been, we're not going to take the deck and go, and now we have a, a whole new game. Because it isn't an, a whole new game. Well, 10, 10 brand new ministers is pretty pretty big. I mean, of 19, you know, that's more than half. Yeah, but it's right after his re-election. Mm-hmm. And we already had one reshuffle, and that didn't go so well. Let's, let's go through the cabinets. The sure. first cabinet worked like clockwork. The second cabinet had a train wreck immediately afterward with the problems of the fundraising issues involving the female minister. The second cabinet, he really tried to promote women. He tried put to- Put five to, in. Yes, exactly. this time he's put only three in. I've had a lot of questions from overseas. What's the deal? He talks about women mm-hmm. in his speech, about his new three arrows, big deal. And then he puts only three women in. Well, historically, that's a huge number still. Mm-hmm. Five women is the most that there's ever been. And it caused him some problems. I mean, and it I don't know if it's, if it's with the personalities or just that's serendipity, but he selected five and, yeah, and, and he, he got it, into a bit of a snip. And the, let's be honest, the number of eligible women within the LDP or within the diet as a whole is very small. Right. The, the 92% of the diet is male. Mm-hmm. Only 8% is female members, right? So at that point, what what is he? Who does he have to choose from? Okay, but doesn't this fly in the face of his directive that I want to have you know thirty percent of senior um, executives in Japanese companies you know to be female? What do you guys, Kadanren? What do you guys think about this? And there was silence. Yeah, this well, it's a hard it's a hard challenge. It's a hard challenge to meet, but also you know, accusing a politician of not fulfilling his or her promises is, is, is an idiot's game. Well, <laughs> it, does sound, it does sound good, though, because, I mean, obviously, you don't have to live in Japan very long to understand the disparity between women in politics or in government or in, in business. I mean, it's just, it's very, very small. And when you do sue women who are actually articulate, who hold their own uh, in in business meetings? It's it's rather small. It's very very small, and their their numbers are really small. In in, in terms of top business executives, less than two percent of top business executives are women. Mm-hmm. The diet we have a little bit better numbers, and in certain professions like uh, lawyers and doctors, we have far more women because it's it's been a pathway for women. Right. But politics hasn't been, and that re- gets re- reflected in Mr. Abe's cabinet. Sure, so he's not, being, he's not being hypocritical. Mm-hmm. He really does have a, a human resource problem mm-hmm. in terms of promoting women. If he wanted to promote women, he'd have to do what Koizumi did, which was bring women out of the private sector and put them in the cabinet. He did that with, uh, with uh, the foreign minister of his time. He also brought in Inokuchi when she was a professor. He, he brought all kinds of people. He's in. done that for um, ambassador posts as well. Yeah. And I think that's really paid big dividends. Yeah, but, but Abe has not gone outside the diet in terms of his cabinet picks, which, which pretty much all cabinets prior, immediately prior mm-hmm. to, to this one have had at least one civilian in it. Right. But now we don't see that because we do have this backlog. We have payback. We have to pay back if we're, and in a minor way, mm-hmm. as because we're reta- he's retaining so many of his team. I would like to say though that it 
that's especially important if he's going to be focusing, as he promises, on economics. Right. Because if you see the list of ministers and you see their responsibilities and you, you see their full job descriptions in economics, they're overlapping all over right. the place. You have the reconstruction minister, the rural revitalization minister, you have the economics minister, you have the ministry of trade and economics minister. You have just, they're all sure. on top of each mm -hmm. other. And if this was a new team, they would step on each other's toes. Mm. So he's kept Amari, he kept uh, his finance minister, he kept a lot of the major economic posts in the same hands because they at least know what their, what their bailiwicks are. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, if he brought in a whole new team, it would be catastrophic. And overlap, to move on to another topic, is a huge issue in this cabinet. So many of the cabinet jobs that are outlined are double teamed or triple teamed. Sure. Mm -hmm. You have, in terms of Okinawa, we have an Okinawa minister who is from Okinawa, Shijiri, and her job is practically mirrored by Suga. Right. who is also in charge of Okinawan issues. Mm. And if you go to rural revitalization or TPP or any of these major issues, there's at least two ministers mm -hmm. in this cabinet whose, whose job descriptions include it. Right. So it, I don't know how it's going to all come, work out. I know that in economics, they're, they're pretty much set, but in other issues, when is Shiojiri going to be the, the point person in Okinawa? When is Suga going to be the point person? And when Governor Onaga comes, is who's he going to see? Who's he going to see and, and, and who's he going to ignore? Well, a different way of looking at this, if I'm Prime Minister Abe, is by saying or responding to that criticism as, I'm double teaming. These issues are so important. Okinawa is so important that I'm giving this specific portion of that problem to Suga, my right-hand man. And the rest of these issues and there might be some overlap I'm giving to the new minister too. Yeah, but we have things like, we now have, all right, as the minister of education, former professional wrestler and Olympic wrestler, uh, Mr. Hase. Mm -hmm. And he, the thing is, as minister of education, one of his bailiwicks is sports. Right. And he's a sports nut and well, you as a professional wrestler, what would what else would you expect? But we also have a bona fide and dedicated Olympics minister, yeah, Mr. Sure Ender. Right. Endo. So it, at times it will be Mr. Endo. Sometimes it will be Mr. Hase, and they'll have to figure out who's responsible. And we still don't have a national right. stadium. I have to say at this point, though, that I really um, miss Shimomura. You know, the fact that he had to give it up and and take the hit for the Olympic stadium debacle. I thought he was really a great minister of, of education, his background, his performance. I just thought he was really good. We have a new minister now. He showed up in a Hummer to receive his uh, his credentials. Oh, gosh. Yes, that, that, that in a very, very understated way. Right. Yeah, and, and uh, I don't know Mr. Hassan very well, but I have seen him in the diet a lot. Mm -hmm. And, okay, he's House of Counselors, which is already stayed and rather... Yeah, that's well. It's Six also it's, it's also where the, where the, uh, the the joke candidates go. Okay, uh, but he's he's not been a joke. He's actually been reelected many times, and he has had a very a pretty stable and uh, reputable uh, time in the Diet. Now, of the ministers that are again double teamed, uh, we we have an ardent anti TPP minister of agriculture who is going to be going up against Amari, who's just negotiated this deal, supposedly. Um, it depends on how the United States and its Congress handled it, but the United States right now, if you look at it. Isn't that strange what happened? I mean, we, would al we always thought that Japan would be the laggard and, and kicking and screaming, and suddenly the TPP discussions go to the the House of Congress, and all hell breaks loose. Well, there's no one in charge of the, the House of Representatives. There's no speaker. It's an election year. It's an election. <sighs> it's really interesting. I mean, you've always got to watch these things because you never know when something's just going to sneak up and surprise you. Well, the, the Japanese side can say, we've done our bit. Thank you very much. So maybe there won't be a big fight, but definitely we have, Abe, again, may, have, may be boxing in Mr. Mm -hmm. Moriyama, his new Minister of Agriculture. Who, right. is, who is of advanced age uh, and who has been waiting a long time to get a cabinet post. So he's got two items that'll make him less feisty, mm -hmm. most likely. 
but he's going to be a, a, a force against TPP within the cabinet, unless, of course, he just rolls over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe, that was, that maybe that's already been negotiated and worked out. But again, it's a double teaming. And we have a double teamings on, oh gosh. Women's else? issues. Women's issues. Women's issues is rather big. And we have... Let's have babies. Not uh, me and you. But. Are we going to go through this? <laughs> okay. First of all, this... Well, look, let's, okay, let's, let's talk about the Mr. Three, Con- let's the talk new about, three arrows. Yes, right? the new three arrows are going to be administered by a new minister of a completely peculiar name, which is the... I don't even know what the official translation is. It's so new, and it, 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 it's basically the energizing of the 100 million as one, Right. Right. And first of all, there are 127 million Japanese. So 27 million Japanese have already been, okay, you're superfluous. That's right. And that doesn't include the foreigners because foreigners only make up less than 0.01. Well, no, no, they're 2% of the population, but there's 127 million Japanese citizens. And they're talking about energizing only 100 million of them. Now, that number has a certain resonance. Now it has a resonance in that Japan's going to fall below 100 million around the year 2040, between 2040 and 2050. It's kind if, of an acknowledgement. It's of that. an acknowledgement. And uh, they w- there is an idea that we really have to stop population decline, and that's going to be our target number, 100 million. Unfortunately, that number has terrible pre-1945 resonances mm-hmm. because the rhetoric of the time of pre-war Japan of pre-1945 Japan is a constant refrain about energizing the 100 million citizens because that was the number of of, of Japanese that there were. Mm -hmm. And the 100 million and the 100 million and the the, the term in Japanese is ichioku uh, because Japanese language counts in, in, in units of four rather than in units of three. But this incredible use of a number that is so associated with the rhetoric of pre-1945 Japan, fl- has, has really slapped a lot of people in the face that you, you can't you, you can't say mm-hmm. that. First of all, that's more that's less than the number of people that exist, and, and that number is yes. is, is verboten, you know. To, and they they went they've gone through it anyway. To, the goal is not only 100 million Japanese, but a uh, an under the plan is the live births per woman will be on the order of 1.8. Right. Currently, it's hovering around 1.3. And while that would be wonderful, it's not replacement level. Replacement level would be 2.1 mm-hmm. because you need more than, slightly more than 2 because of childhood diseases and accidents right. for replacement. So in order to stabilize the population, you have to have at least 2. But they don't even begin to try to get to that level. They want to go raise the birth rates per women from 1.3 to 1.8. Great, fantastic, wonderful thing. If you can do all kinds of changes to Japanese society that get to that, fine. But you have to understand the the height of the mountain that you're trying to climb. The last time that the birth rate per woman was 1.8 was in 1984, back 30 years ago. That was the height of the bubble. And it was, it was, the, the bubble was, but if, and that was only, that was a blip actually that, that clicked up during, during that period. If you want to go back to a sustained rate of mm-hmm. 1.8, you have to go back to the first year. No, you have to go back to the first year that Jimmy Carter was president, 1977, that it's that far back in time. So you are going to try to somehow pull society through all of those decades mm-hmm. and get back to that kind of life, okay, there's no way that you're going to have single-income families to the extent that they had them in 1977 right. so that you had stay-at-home moms. And furthermore, if you just try to think through it, you say, there's no way to do this. Mm-hmm. But they now have a minister, Mr. Kato, a very close associate, though he's not a member of the faction of the prime minister, is now in charge of this three arrows of production and reproduction right. uh, that is supposed to get Japan going toward this 100 million stabilized population Let me number. ask you a question. If the prime minister is going to say, we're going to increase you know, this kind of birth rate from 
what it is currently now at 1.2, uh, we're going to bring it up to about 1.8. If that is really unachievable, why would he then say in the same breath with his next arrow, and we're going to expand the economy to 600 trillion? What, what explains that? I mean, those are both kind of, I mean. Not kind of. If, if he was gonna extrapolate and be very expansive, why doesn't he just say we're gonna have you know, a birth rate of 2.0, 2.1? Yeah, the, uh, my hometown newspaper, the Tokyo Shinbun, in terms of that 600 trillion number, uh, asked the question in its editorial the next day, is he suffering from the Peter Pan syndrome? Mm -hmm. Is he a boy who can't grow up? Mm. It's just, get real. Uh, right. Now, yes, you can get to 600 trillion, and if you want to do that, you need, well, all you need is for, oh, I guess, 20 years of 2% inflation, and you don't even have to have any real growth. If you just have the inflation, you'll eventually get to that number. But he did give himself five years to achieve it. He gave him some time to achieve it, and, and, and you just say, no, it's not possible, mm -hmm. uh, because the first three arrows of abenomics have delivered us to a point where we have inflation at about 0.8%, and because of the, the consumption tax, we haven't got the growth, that the 2% growth that was promised. To, okay. get from, to get from one place to another, we just don't have the ingredients okay, for it. Okay, we, we haven't really delved too much into the new cabinet, and I'd like to do that. Okay. But what explains this vision of the prime minister to, to tell people publicly that this is what we're going to do? We're going to have more children, and there's going to be more welfare services? Well, they're, they're going to be stabilized in terms of their the economics, and the, the services will make it so that there will be, the, the goal is zero people quitting their jobs right. in order to take care of an elderly parent. Okay, you can already see that he gets visibly upset when he's challenged, when people say, how can you actually say that, Mr. Prime Minister? And he says, this is, you know, this is the vision, this is what we're going to achieve, let's go. Well, he has this this. What problem. explains that? What, what is the psychology there? I, I, mean, don't, I don't know, because if it is a sales job, and we were discussing this last week, if it's a sales job in order to get the interest of international investors to get the stock market kicked up again, so that we have the virtuous cycle that he was talking about in his first administration going with stock prices rising, uh, tax receipts rising, people getting employed. Okay, the tax receipts rising, we've got that. People getting employed, we have l incredibly low unemployment. But whether that's due to his cyclical actions or structurally just because the number of working age Japanese is shrinking, mm -hmm. uh, that that's a, there's a real question there. The the promises that are they're being made, he must think that foreigners can't add. Well, it's not just the foreigners. I mean, I mean, it's not just people like you and me that are watching and trying to analyze this. I mean, they're regular voters too. The Bank of Japan also stepped in their own poop when they committed that inflation would be at a certain rate and the, the expansion of the economy would be a certain rate, and they failed to achieve that, and their credibility took a huge hit. The prime minister is lining up to have his credibility challenged at a time, probably when it's uh, you know time for the upper house election. I, I don't know. He seems to have a real need to set up some real goals. I understand that, and there has been some kibitzing about you know whether, whether these goals are reasonable or not. But for the most part, he's been getting a pass at least domestically. Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe it's simply because it's so unbelievable that people are just shrugging their shoulders and saying, yeah, that's politics. Maybe. Look, if he's going to achieve those things, he really has to pull a rabbit out of the hat and pretty quick. Let's talk about the new cabinet. Okay. Is this the design? Is this the, the, the result of, you know, reaching into the hat and pulling out the rabbit? The lot of people that are there do fit into the positions. He kept his, his top five. Yeah, he kept his top five. He didn't uh, do anything that was tremendously surprising or tremendously exciting. Mm -hmm. None of the new members really, except for Taro Kono, really uh, energizes you. Uh, you don't say, aha, this person will really know what he or she is doing. Right. And uh, Taro Kono will go deeply into administrative reform and knows a tremendous about it, 
a lot about it. And we may see him disappear into it because mm -hmm. he'll, he'll be so involved in it. And that would probably be good for his career. Remember, he had to sit out. One year, he voted against the party. And that an extremely rare situation. And he, 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 I remember having a conversation with him, and he said, I will never do that again. <laughs> well, I, I knew what, a, what a, the inside of a refrigerator feels like. <laughs> <laughs> it was, he, was, he said, I will never. I, I, I have, I've, done, you know, I've done my time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he's going he's gonna to get along by going along. Uh, as for the other members, you, you, there's not a lot that you can expect from them. So I'm not though he, the prime minister may claim this may be a, a cabinet to refocus our energies to achieve our economic and social goals. I see it as a caretaker cabinet up until the House of Councillors election. Yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, Japanese politicians have a tendency of really surprising you. Even the current prime minister, who would have guessed when he first became prime minister that he would last this long? I, last, I thought it was going to last three months. Right. Honestly. So, I thought it was all going to end in tears like before. I mean, before. Koizumi was the same way. Most of the time, these prime ministers, when they become elected, or even some of the, the ministers of the cabinet, they become elected to that post, and all of a sudden they begin to shine. And all of those attributes that they've kept in check all of a sudden begin to see the light of day, and they really do incredible jobs. And maybe with this touch of, you know, cohesion and this, this we're going to do this. To, I mean, he's publicly stated these three arrow objectives. How is he going to be able to achieve that and maintain, you know, his credibility? Uh, if, his, if his cabinet ministers do their jobs, and they will, uh, it'll just be uh, muddling along. Japan, of course, is in a rather blessed position in that, in terms of whatever dysfunction it may have in terms of its governance, it's far less dysfunctional than the countries sure. of Europe and far less dysfunctional than the, even the United States. Uh, so in terms of its international image, it looks like Mr. Abe is an absolute, extremely <laughs> powerful, though, he is. Uh, yeah. and, and, and completely in, in control leader. Mm -hmm. uh, the the kick up from this new cabinet, and we have we should talk about that in terms of political polling. They got up about a five percent kick up, which is not terrific, but it's not bad. It's not that that any way that they saw any decay in public support for the cabinet. So the public is willing to give Abe and his team a a benefit of the doubt, but it's not an enthusiastic response. He's still in negative territory? No, no, he's in positive territory as compared. It's, it's, it's close. In the Kyodo poll, it's something on the order of uh, 45, 46% for the cabinet and 41% against. Mm -hmm. or, but but the, uh, the, the against numbers actually shifted pretty significantly downward, almost 10 points. But the, the negatives may have shifted down 10 or, or, or around 10 points. But the positives only went up about five in all the polls. Mm -hmm. So it's not a situation where people are p pissed off at him as they were in August. Right. But there, it's not that they're really thrilled by the new, new lineup either. Mm -hmm. And it, the proof will be in the pudding. It'll, it'll be depend upon how they do and what it is that they're going to be doing. Right. We, we have three arrows, but they're really limited. And they're they are not realistic. So in order to have some kind of claims to having achieved certain goals, one can only think that there are going to be something new things rolled out. Well, he jettisoned the last three for a new three. There's got to be some thinking behind that. Either he thought this administrative reform, this reform of, of the economy. Re that regulatory, regulatory reform, reform and all these things, yeah. Um, there must it? be some kind of thinking. There must it. be some sort of thinking behind all of this. For example, he just jettisoned the last three arrows, and he's moved on to three new arrows. So something's going on there. Perhaps his, his focus on regulatory reform, he's kind of admitted to himself that that really is too big. Let's focus on something else. Don't look at the man behind the curtain. I don't know if it's so much the man behind the curtain as there are all kinds of initiatives that were passed into law. A lot of bills were passed in the, in the extended diet session. So that a lot of these third arrow reform changes that were, are going on before, are now, they're now law. Right. And it will take time, maybe a year, maybe two, before we see any kind of effect from these changes. Mm -hmm. Now, 
if you ask specific industries, ask specific people what it is that they interest them, frequently they have something to say. They say, yes, this, this law that passed actually will be significant. Right. Usually, of course, they're, they're promoting their own little bit of, of business. But there are all kinds of little pieces that have been put into play. Right. And how that all pans out will really depend on a, a basic stability. And let's face it, that's what Abe offers mm. Japan, is an end to the instability that plagued the country in terms of its politics. Whatever you may think about his individual policies or his, these new three policy promises, what we know is... The administration's stable. That the administration's stable. Come September, October next year, Mr. Abe, mm -hmm. unless he's hit by a meteorite, will be prime minister right. still, and the year after that. And that has not been yeah. something that Japanese and, have been, and particularly the business community here in Japan have not been able to rely upon. The business community has been the biggest supporter of Mr. Mm -hmm. Abe. And they can see in him a person who will be there year in, year out, and will and, and has delivered on a lot of promises that they, to the things that interested them. Mm -hmm. And while they may not be a major force in the electorate, if he's got them in his pocket, he's already on a pretty good way. He's halfway along with the right-wing base that he still retains toward a functioning majority come election time. Yeah, let's go through the calendar of things that we know are going to happen between now and the election of July 2016. Okay, what we know is going to happen is that there's going to be some kind of extraordinary session. Right. And it'll have to be very short because we have very little time left. And what can they do in that? And what can they do in that? But now we have a cabinet. We have a new secretariat for the LDP. There's no excuse. Administerial vice ministers were named today. Vice ministers. Then the parliamentary secretaries will be named next after that. They're called parliamentary vice ministers, I think, now. Mm -hmm. uh, but they'll be named. And then there'll be no excuse for not opening the diet up again. Except, of course, that they just closed it after an extended session. But we'll have the extraordinary session. Then we'll go into the budget process for we'll, next year. We'll, bre we'll break for New Year's and probably sometime in January, maybe early Le February. Maybe early in February we'll right. start the, regular, the, the next regular session. It probably will be closer into our January because it has to finish before, well, sometime in mid-June because they need that extended period of time for campaigning mm -hmm. for the House of Counselors election. Regular diet session is 150 days. Uh, yes, and so, as you, so if you think backward 150 days right. from June, and you say that's probably going to be the start date with some flexibility, and then they'll go immediately into campaign mode. The question everybody's asking is, okay, Mr. Abe seems to be on a two-year cycle in terms of general elections. Mm -hmm. Is he going to call a double election? Now, double elections are both dangerous if the, if the public is really against you for some reason. You have or, a chance to lose in both houses, right. which, is, which is lethal. Uh, or there's a, there's a big payoff, of course. If it, they stay stable or they gain a few seats, then he's set for the rest of his, his term. He's established that the people support him, and he can go on any policy direction that he wants. And if he runs a double election, it has the, the final and really important uh, point that it forces the opposition parties to spend all their money mm -hmm. because they have to run elections for both houses. Right. And that will impoverish the, the opposition, right. whether it's, it's the, the well-funded communists or everybody else who are pretty much on a shoestring budget normally, mm -hmm. to have a double election will absolutely break their banks. Well, clearly we understand that the prime minister is motivated to modify the constitution. And he is shooting for two-thirds majority. And also, should there be a referendum of the population, that two-thirds of the population of Japan will also endorse Well, he only needs 50% for the endorsement for the population, but you know, getting two-thirds on that side wouldn't be bad either. Right. So, but uh, I don't know. I'm going to take the devil's advocate position. I think that Mr. Abe, by passing the security legislation this summer. You think that's it? I think that's it. Mm. And I think that's it because it meets the standard of his grandfather. 
and it surpasses his grandfather. It radically and broadly changes the basis of Japan's security policy. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Abe is not stepping down because of it. His, his grandfather had to because of the vast protests and the, the, the absolute virulent anger of elite classes at the way it was done. Right. And he had to, he had to resign. Mr. Abe has also faced not nearly so virulent, but still a great deal of criticism and a great deal of disdain, but he survived it. Right. And, and he, within his own party, he's absolutely at the pinnacle. Right. So I don't see him having any kind of psychological impetus to pushing for constitutional revision because he's expanded the, the uh, writ of Article 9 to include collective security. Bingo, you're done. I disagree. I think he is motivated to change the Constitution. I believe he is. I mean, look at all of his policies, how he's written his book, how he wants to change Japan. He wants to, Japan to be the new Japan. And I think what that means to him and many people who are really um, supporting him on the, the right kind of wing faction of, of how they view Japan and Japan history or Japanese history is we want to create our own constitution. This one isn't you know, this one was handed to us, and I think this, this meme just repeats itself, and I think he's motivated. I'm to sure that. he's going to talk about it throughout the whole of this year in order to cement the base to get through the House of Counselors election. I'll, I'll agree with you on that, but I think it's insincere. Yeah, I don't think he's going to talk much about it because all he wants is his two-thirds, and he wants, he wants to develop the, the population to believe in him that he will guide the country in the proper way. And then once that's done then we might see a little bit of a face change. So you, you see him not talking about it, I see him talking about it for very different reasons, mm -hmm. but I, it, it's a good argument either way, I think. Your, your, your point of that he, he would try to do it in a surreptitious way, talk about economy, economy, Talk economy. about women, talk about, yes, all of these things. Things in the third arrow and then after the election say, oh, the reason- Now that I've been good to you. No, now that, now that you have endorsed my vision of revising the constitution, right. I'm going to get There we go. Okay, yeah. that, that, all right. Yes, yeah. It is an God. endorsement of my policies. Oh my the, goodness. Including the ones that I didn't we talk really very much about. We really are cynical sometimes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing that I think is important to talk about is the, um, the power of the LDP is so great that it has forced the opposition parties, including the Communist Party, to get together quietly and talk about some coalition that we will have when these elections come up. We, we want to share um, you know, our, our, um, our resources so that we're not you know, at loggerheads. Why don't you take this district, I'll take this one, and let's try and get these uh, seven or eight seats that are up for grabs. Well, the, that's true that they, they did try to do the coordination, but there's a fundamental roadblock that stopped it. Mm -hmm. there, there was direct negotiations between uh, Kazuo Ishii of the Communist Party and Mr. Okada of the DPJ. Pretty big. Well, they're, 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 very rarely does that happen on a, bi, uh, on a bi-party level between those two parties. But the old socialists inside the party and Rengo, the union which has just recently uh, replaced its, its leadership and has been playing footsie with the, with the LDP and Mr. Abe. Uh, Rengo came down very hard and said, we are not going to allow you to talk to the communists. Mm -hmm. And the old socialist framework and Rengo, the, the, the labor unions, they're they're, they're not going to allow it, and so it, the, the entire effort has collapsed. Mm -hmm. What we're going to have instead is a, not a broad opposition, but a, a minor coalition of everything but the communists. Right. But the communists have been doing so well in polling, they did so well in the last election, and they're probably going to do great in the coming House of Counselors election, that to not have them on board is a big, big weakness of the, of the opposition force. I agree with you. Let's talk about one more important dynamic, and that is what's going on inside Komeito and Sokagakai. There has been a rift, and the head of Sokagakai has kind of rejuvenated himself. He's now reasserting his control. I can't really say much about the Komeito idea, especially they've, they've made the only visible switch in the cabinet is the replacement of Mr. Ota by Mr. Ishii. Now, the, it, and Ota seemed solid. 
Three weeks ago, he seemed like he was good to go. I, it, but instead, they've moved in from the party secretary, Mr. Ishii. Now, Mr. Ishii is perfect for the job that he's being put into. He's an old construction ministry bureaucrat, so putting him in, fr in he's charge. Younger. He's younger. He's a policy wonk. Uh, and he probably watches and to show. Put, and to and to put on put him in charge of infrastructure and tourism and everything is going is fine. It's perfect. You know that's that's where the money is and that's where the the uh, Komeito wants to be. What's the background to that? I, I'm, I'm afraid I can't comment. Mm -hmm. Well, from what I understand, uh, there was a little bit of a discrepancy with Ota from Sokagakai, and Sokagakai is basically telling Komeito, this is what you're going to do. Hmm. And Komeito really has to do it because the power base of Komeito is the, the religious organization Sokagakai. But don't, you and I can't say that out loud, of course. No, because there's a separation of church and state, and we all know that, and we and, observe that. And the, and the Komeito is separated from the Sokagakai official. Of course. Yes. So, so we, we know that. But it was somewhat weird, and, and these rifts are very important, and they're, they're signals for us. And come election time, you know, this, this separation of, of these two very powerful entities could spell a, a, a real disaster. Well, it would be not as so much a disaster, but it would certainly be a complicating factor. Mm -hmm. uh, the LDP relies on a lot of Komeito votes to get its members over the, the hump. The, over the hump. Uh, and it's a 7 million hard votes that mm -hmm. you know will be there in districts, and you can basically, you know what kind of coalition you have to put together aside from the Komeito votes mm -hmm. in order to get your person elected in the district. Right. The, the Komeito votes for its own people in the proportional seats and gets its membership mostly from there. There are not, there's really not much hope for a, a Komeito district person. There right. are some in certain districts, like Mr. Ota's district in Tokyo. But they really are a fundamental part. Mm -hmm. And, and the, let's be fair and, and let's be real. The, the LDP has not run a government by itself since 93. Okay, since its, its defeat back by the first opposition coalition, which the Komeito was part of at that time, that opposition. Bef until After that, the LDP has always been ruling in coalition. Mm -hmm. Now, if its coalition partner is feeling unstable, and it's its only coalition partner, then you're right. It, it, it puts a degree of uncertainty that is unwelcome. Well, no, I think you can see people just getting ready for uh, you know, a fight. Well, there's always this idea that the, Japan needs to have its parties sorted out. Mm -hmm. There has to be a resorting so that mm -hmm. we have conservatives on one side and liberals right. on the other. And we've been hearing that for God knows how many decades. Right. And it's always something that comes up. Usually it comes up from the uh, more right-wing parts of the DPJ, people like Maihara and, and Nagashima, who are very famous because of their constantly arguing with the central core of the party that we need to right. adopt more realistic positions, which in other words means more right-wing, uh, <laughs> that, that, that we need to reshuffle Right. The, the party so that all of the liberals leave the LDP and that get into the DPJ and all the, the hard rights in the DPJ go into the LDP. They, we, we hear this all the time. Well, listen, we've been here for a long time and it used to be said that you can predict Japanese politics. That's how we started this podcast today, that mm -hmm. things were predictable in the old days. But never say never. The things that have happened since Koizumi has been prime minister, was prime minister, are just, I mean, the the... The, the mating of several of the ministries together and the streamlining of a lot of administrative processes, just the, the mere rebuilding of the prime minister's residence. I mean, it is a massive edifice right now, and it is fit for a world leader, whereas before it was, you know, the two-story structure, the brick structure, and it didn't look you know, very imposing, but now and the this person is, who in it was in it was not very imposing. That's true. Well, it's a, it's a parliamentary system, so he has to be elected by his group, and now it looks more presidential. It really does look pre presidential, and the diet offices have been you know completely reconstructed. They are they are larger, they're more modern, and and they they feel much better. A lot of work can get done in those. I mean, you don't have to rely on the ministries as you had to in the old days, simply because your room was 
basically a closet. Yeah, that's true. That there is a, there is a physical presence that reflects a consolidation of power right. inside both the, the, the diet right. and also, but really importantly, inside the uh, prime minister's residence, the Kante. Right. That it physically is a manifestation of the consolidation of power there. But you know, when you look at the Khoisme Rev revolution, you have to think virtually every part of it is dead. Under the Khoisme revolution, we had strict fiscal policies, a very a budget cutting process. Mm -hmm. Now we have a budget expanding process. We had this the uh, importance of regulatory reform that was so important that you had to bust the LDP apart right. over it. And what has Abe just done? He's readmitting the last of the postal rebels, Mr. Hiranuma. He's bringing him That's back true. into right. the LDP after he's been in the wilderness for so long and refused to go through the process of repudiating him. He, he, he's walking in with his head held high. He, he, he was thrown out of the party and he's walking in and the party's opening its doors to him. Mm -hmm. Khoisemism is dead. With Hiranuma back in the party, uh, it, it's as if Khoisemi never happened right. in terms of the LDP and that some, in, the only thing that remains is, you're right, the structural and uh, oral this aura of, of leadership that is currently blessing Mr. Abe. Okay, I can't let it stand unsaid that Koizumi left far more and all of this that you're saying has, has disappeared. Uh, you, can't, you can't just stand on that because he has left one legacy that probably one day will be prime minister. Yeah. Mr. Koizumi Shinjiro is really one of Japan's great politicians, well-spoken, uh, young, knows how, very young. Knows how to young, knows how to stand his ground. Uh, he he earned his chops in Washington, working at CSIS and studying in the United States. So he's he's really clued in to what kind of possibilities there are, both domestically and internationally. He's a third generation. He's let's see. He would be fourth because his grandfather, his great grandfather, was the famous tattooed minister in okay. the pre-war era. The, the uh, longshoreman who became a minister. So there has always been a wildness in the Koizumi line. Well, there's th that's something really to look forward to. Because well, yeah, it, it's, it's something to look forward to, but it, he's got too few elections to the diet mm -hmm. to be really uh, a part of it. And in fact, that, that the, the low number of elections to the diet was the excuse that Mr. Abe gave when he was asked, well, why didn't you put in Koizumi mm -hmm. Shinjiro? He said, well, he's, he's just, he doesn't have the, the requisite number. Right. And it's going to be against him. And Mr. Abe, having already corralled in Shigeru Ishiba and Taro Kono in the cabinet, he's basically iced out any kind mm -hmm. of rivalry. And that, again, goes back to the historical precedent about cabinet selection. Every prime minister who, of the last, let's say, 40, 50 years, has always had to th look over his shoulder because there are rivals who are ready to Horses step Horses are galloping. In. Yes, they're right behind you mm -hmm. at all times. Abe has no one behind him with the sword raised. There's no Brutus to kill him. Sure. There is, there's no one there. It's unpolitic. It's, it's, there's, it, you, you, it, not it's, in this administration. Not in this administration, not in this LDP. And that's what's hard for anyone doing analysis. Mm -hmm. The sure. moment you start saying, now, this time it's different, people will jump on you and say, right. you're, you're, you're an idiot. That's right. You know, that, that I've been are, here too long to, to fall for that one again. Yeah, yes. not, yeah, that's <laughs> right. And the problem is it's probably true. Well, I think there is lots of rock and roll uh, in store for us. And I know you hate it whenever I ask, but what are your predictions? I'd like to draw this conversation to a close. But um, I'm always interested in what your predictions are, short-term, medium-term, because you've got a good beat on things. And also, it generates a lot of, of flack from viewers who, who contribute their thoughts and, and analysis and say, you know, you were wrong and it didn't happen that way, but it's always, it always enriches the conversation. Yes, I, I certainly should never go to Vegas, let's put it that <laughs> way. Uh, in this case, I'm looking at the, the non-appointment of Inada as sort of a guarantee that Abe has no plan whatsoever of leaving before 2018. Mm -hmm. That when his LDP presidency is up in that year, he'll go, 
but he has no plans to hand anything off. He's not going to, to retire and become a shadow shogun. No, that's not in his plan at all. And Inada staying where she is in the party hierarchy at the head of policy indicates that she's not being groomed to take over anytime soon. Mm -hmm. That has me predicting that we're going to have a double election uh, because the double election will happen, whether it's under your scenario of him remaining silent about the Constitution or mine where he actually advocates, come on, to, come on board, let's right. do this. Uh, either way, I think we're looking at a double election simply because of the financial burden mm -hmm. that it would impose on the opposition. I think that that's so tempting. Right. So I would look for it in 2016. Okay, well, thank you very much for that. And I always look forward to hearing your predictions and also hearing predictions from you, the viewers. The topics that we discuss on Tokyo on Fire are keenly interesting to us who live here, to people who are outside of Japan doing business here, and also to normal Japanese who are just kind of locked in place with the regular flow of information that they get that is fed through the dailies. Hopefully, we're giving you a different kind of analysis and a different view of how to look at things. Please continue to join us. You can contact us via email at comments at tokyoonfire.com or on Twitter via hashtag tokyoonfire. You can also leave comments for us in the dialogue box on YouTube, and our podcasts are also available for download on iTunes. Thank you very much for watching. Please continue to tell your family and friends about our podcast. My name is Timothy Langley. See you next week.